I shared yesterday that when you come to the end of a series, it's always bittersweet because you've seen how God has worked through a series. You see how God has, let me rephrase that, I see how God has spoken to me, but I've also heard how he's spoken to you as a church family. And this is one of those times I want to say thank you for affirming this series we've been through. One of the, not the hardest thing to do, but one of the challenges is to work through a series and figure out what's next. And I had prayed as we were working through our Christmas series what to jump into as we approach 2021. Where should we go and where should God lead us and how should he lead us as we study scripture together? And to me, this was the best way to approach 2021. This idea, this understanding of what does it mean to be an overcomer? What does it mean to let the Father lead you as you grasp and understand the importance of putting on that complete armor of God, knowing as we learned that very first message back in January that the purpose for putting on the armor is so we can stand firm at what the enemy and the world try to throw at us. But over the course of this series, there have been many times you as a church family have given me affirmation that this is where God needed us to be. This is where God wanted us to be because you have told me personally on a number of occasions how a specific message has spoken to you. And this morning, I wanted to share two things that I had received from our church family, there was affirmation to me that this is where we needed to be, that God had been leading this since the beginning when we came into this series. So a few weeks ago, I got a call from Jane saying that a box had been put in my office from Amazon, which was strange because I didn't order anything from Amazon to come to the office. And so she said that a box had came in. I said, well, whose name is on it? Because it's always an indication to whether it is something that I've, I've ordered myself or, you know how you do the autofill when you're filling out stuff on a form? You know, we all do that sometimes. You call me Chuck. Those who have a little bit of authority over me call me Charles. And so when it was Chuck, I knew I was safe because whoever sent this actually knew me as a person. And so that was the encouragement there. So I got back to the office, and this is what I found in this box. It's a statue of the armor of God. And this was sent to me by one of our Sunday school classes. To me, that's affirmation. This is where God needed us for this moment. And it's in my office, and it's a reminder of why we put on the armor. This past Thursday, as I shared with many of you, I had the opportunity to go up to Atlanta for a pastor's prayer day at the Capitol to pray and do a prayer walk. A friend of mine who's a pastor over in Fort Wentworth, we were starting down the road, and he said, hey, I got something for you. He reached in his pocket and he handed me this and the pictures on the screen behind me. It's known as a challenge coin, but look what's on the coin. And so, again, this is affirmation that this is where God wanted us for this particular season. And again, many of you have shared with me personally how the different messages have been an encouragement to you. A family in our church who was walking through 
a difficult time after we preached about overcoming with peace told me how that message was the encouragement they needed during that season. So my prayer for you as a church family is that if not necessarily the whole series, one message has spoken to you specifically, one message may have spoken to you directly. That is always my prayer when we work through a series of scripture. This morning, we are wrapping up this series, Overcomer, and we're going to jump right into it this morning because we're going to talk about temptation. We know that temptation is that lure, it's that pull, it's that attraction to something we know we should stay away from, but because it's pulling us, it's luring us, we're drawn towards it. We know that from the beginning of time, temptation has been the one way that the devil tries to get our attention. And we know through scripture that temptation has led many a man and many a woman away from God. We also know that temptation affects everyone. None of us in this room are immune to temptation because I don't care how strong you are, how much Bible you know, how strong you think your faith is, every one of us in this room will fall into a temptation of some sort. And here's the other reminder, that the temptation that I may struggle with won't be the same temptation that Jean Elton may struggle with. Or it may not be the same temptation that Jimmy Hathaway struggles with. Or it may not be the same temptation that my wife struggles with. But we all wrestle with a temptation of some sort. And it's how do we fight off that temptation? How do we become an overcomer? And how do we guard at all times? Because temptation, as I have learned, temptation doesn't care who you are. The temptation doesn't care how much or how little you make what kind of job you have. Temptation does not care. Someone once compared temptation to a rattlesnake. And I'll be honest with you, I wish temptation looked like this because if I saw that, I wouldn't go near it. There's no reason to go near it. If temptation looked like that, we would never fall into temptation because let's be honest, and you can help me this morning, by a show of hands, how many of you would want to pet one of those? Wow, thank you, good. That wasn't real rocket science, but I got to figure it out. We don't want to touch that because that is dangerous. We see the danger there. And if temptation looked like that, we would avoid it at all cost. But here's what I've learned. Temptation doesn't look like a rattlesnake. For some, temptation is more like chocolate cake. Temptation is a $100 bill. Temptation can be the attraction of a guy or a girl. It could be that corner office. It could be that new car. It can be so many different things. Here's temptation. The answer is on the exam for the final test. There's that lure. There's that pull. Because here's the thing. The reason we don't avoid temptation is because temptation is attractive. There's something that pulls us towards it, something that we see and we go, that doesn't look too bad. That doesn't look that dangerous. And what's interesting is there are things in this world that are extremely beautiful, yet they are very dangerous. I'm going to share two examples this morning with you. The flower behind me is called the autumn crocus. The name in itself implies the problem. 
crocus, short for croak, short for it's dead. The flower is a pretty flower. From a distance, the flower is very pretty, but it's also one of the most endangered plants in the world, but it's also one of the most poisonous plants in the world. In that plant, there is a drug that is used to treat gout. In itself, we can see there's a medical purpose behind the flower, but there are other toxins in that flower that you see behind me that there is no antidote for. So if that flower somehow gets into your bloodstream, it will kill you, as pretty as it is. Another thing that we may find attractive, yet we have learned over time is dangerous, is it's a wide breed of bright-colored frogs known as dart frogs. Now, some people I know are just terrified of frogs, period. But that is a neat-looking frog. And Kyle, I'll be honest with you, if 8-year-old or 10-year-old me saw that, I'd go catch it. Not knowing the danger behind it. Not knowing that as bright-colored as it is, as attractive as it is, its skin releases a secretion of different poisons that can paralyze and kill certain animals. So when we see this, we see this temptation as it presents itself to us as something that's beautiful, something that's inviting. But behind that invitation is a mask that is both dangerous and can be very deadly. We know as we grow and as our walk with Christ grows, that temptation is going to come in many different ways and many different forms. And we're all going to struggle from the pressures of temptation. In the reminder, and I shared this earlier, that there are certain temptations we all face that are different than the person faces that's next to you. When we think about temptation, take your Bibles for just a moment. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to show you that this reminder from God's word that, yes, we wrestle with temptation. Yes, we struggle with these things. But Scripture shows us very clearly that, yes, we're going to deal with temptation. But we also don't have to let the temptation overcome us. We don't have to allow the temptation to grab hold of us and steer us away from our walk with Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, specifically verse 13. Scripture simply says this, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Yes, you're going to wrestle with temptation, but we have a God who is faithful. And Scripture plainly says that with temptation, God will give you a way to escape. God gives you an exit door. You choose whether to walk through it. But here's what I hear sometimes. Well, the reason that I'm wrestling with temptation is because God's doing it to me. Be careful, because in Scripture, it plainly says over in James chapter 1, verse 13, it says this, that no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. We know who the tempter is. That is the devil himself. 
And we know as a believer, we're going to wrestle with what the devil throws at us because scripture tells us he roars like a lion looking to devour, looking to destroy. And I would almost guarantee you that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the devil has walked past you more than one time in your life as that lion. He has creeped next to you and you may not even known it. There's other times he's walked right past you and you knew for a fact that that was him who was coming towards you. But as I read that scripture and I see that scripture, I'm reminded that we have a Savior who loves us, a Savior who's not going to, and this is hard, listen to me very carefully. It's hard to wrestle with this thought that we are not going to have more temptation than we can handle because sometimes we tell ourselves, well, how much more can I have? We all walk through that valley of uncertainty. We all walk through those times when we feel like temptation is just being dumped on us and dumped on us and dumped on us. And we wonder, well, how much more, God, do I have to fight off? Knowing Scripture says that, number one, temptation doesn't come from him, but number two, he gives us a way out. He gives us an escape route. So when we think about temptation, here's what else I'm reminded of. God may test us by allowing temptations. He may test us, but he never tempts us himself. Think about that. God allows temptation, but God is not doing the tempting. Yes, he allows the devil to do what he does. But it's not God tempting you. It's not God tempting me. Paul told the Corinthians when they were dealing with temptation, as we saw in that verse in 1 Corinthians, God always gives us a way of escape. The way of escape, that word comes from a Greek word that is a passageway through a canyon. So imagine walking through a canyon trying to find the exit route. That way of escape in the Greek means there's the door. Walk through it if you want to get out. So we know that the Father gives us a way out. We know that the best escape route for temptation is a close walk with Jesus Christ. That's the way you escape temptation, knowing that he is walking with you, knowing that he is guiding you, knowing that he is leading you through those circumstances you may be wrestling with this morning, knowing that the battle we face is not a physical battle, it is a spiritual battle. That's why we've been talking about this armor of God for the last number of weeks, knowing that as we put on this armor, we fend off what the devil throws at us. Over these last number of weeks, if we, if we have looked at these seven verses from Ephesians chapter 6, God has shown us in his infinite wisdom how to give us the protection we need as we wrestle with the devil. Think about this. He gives us a belt of truth. He provides for us protection with a breastplate of righteousness. He puts on our feet the preparation of the gospel. He gives us the shield of faith so we can deflect those darts that are being thrown at us. And last week, we talked about covering our heads with the helmet of salvation. That's that wisdom we get from God for every situation. This morning, as we wrap up this series, it's interesting that every piece of armor we've talked about leading up to this point has been for protection. The belt the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet have been for protection. Paul ends this section of Scripture looking at the one thing 
that we need that is the only offensive weapon we are going to use as we stand up against this adversary, the devil. This morning, we're going to learn how to overcome temptation with Scripture. How do we use Scripture to overcome temptation? Take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And I say this as a side note. I'm not saying this is a guarantee, but I've got a very strong feeling that it may be a while before we're back in this section of Scripture. And so next week you'll get to move your ribbon from Ephesians where it's been for the last six weeks. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. We already read about the helmet of salvation, but look how Paul closes out this passage of Scripture. And the sword, he says, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Through this whole series, Paul has been using the example of the Roman soldier that he would have seen walking through the providences of Rome, those areas, those territories that are controlled by the Roman Empire. He gets to this last item that the Roman soldier has, and it's this sword that's not very long, but serves a unique purpose. For the Roman soldier, that short sword was called a gladius, and it was about 18 inches in length. It's sharpened on both sides. The sword that he has on his hip was designed for close combat. When you're standing next to next real close to that person that you're fighting against. So they would use that sword that sword would be made from many strips of metal joined together. Some would be a single piece of steel. Some could be multiple pieces of steel. But a Roman soldier would use that sword with ruthless effectiveness. He knew how to use that weapon. And when things broke down in a fight, remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the shield of faith, the soldiers would lock shields together. But there would be points in those fights where it would be one-on-one. And it's at those moments that that Roman soldier would take that sword and use it to be effective, always hitting the mark. Paul has been using this soldier's armor as this reminder, but we know that when Paul gets to this section of Scripture, we know that he is talking about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But this morning, let's do a little bit of a word study. Because here's where we get ourselves in trouble when we study Scripture. And this little side note here. When we study Scripture, we tend to look at it in English because we speak English. That's what we learned in grammar school. Nouns and verbs and subjects. But if you go to the original text, the New Testament would have been in Greek. There are two different words for the word word in the Greek. The first one is logos, logos. And this is the most common usage of the word in Scripture. Logos means the overreach, overarching revelation of God that we have in the Bible. What that tells us is that the all-encompassing word of God is what the Bible is. It is God's word. That's logos. But there's another Greek word that we see in this translation, 
and more specifically, when we think about the word logos for a second, look at Hebrews 13, 7. It's on the screen behind me. This is how we would use this. Remember that those who rule over you have spoken the word logos, have spoken logos of God to you whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct, has spoken the word of God over them. But again, so we know logos is one translation in the Greek, but that's not what we're talking about here in Ephesians 6, 17. The Greek word here is rima, R-H-E-M-A, which really literally means the saying of God. So you have two Greek words, logos and rima. Logos is the word encompassing, the complete word of God. Rima is the sayings of God. So we could take verse 17 and we could rewrite it this way. Take the sword of the spirit, which is a saying of God. Why I show you this this morning is there is a distinct difference between these two Greek words. And we need to understand this to get clarification of what we're reading about with the sword being an offensive weapon, being the word of God. Because logos is the complete revelation of God cover to cover. That's what logos means. But when we get to the word rima, it's specific sayings of God. What I'm talking about is a passage, a verse drawn from the whole is the saying of God, the rima of God. Listen, let's be honest for a second. Every one of us growing up have always called this our sword, haven't we? How many of you remember sword drills when you were a kid? A few of you remember those. Take your Bible, you find that verse, and recite it. Here's what I've learned, and here's what I've come to understand, is yes, this we have a sword, but the sword is not this from cover to cover. The sword is what's in between these covers. It's that specific saying, that specific verse. Listen, we know, because here's why this is important. Listen to this. The Bible is the word of God, whether we read it or not. True or false? True. It's still the word of God if we read it or we don't read it. It is the word of God, whether it means anything to us or nothing at all. It's still the word of God, whether we feel anything when we read it or whether we even understand it while we read it. We know that the Bible is the word of God and nothing can change that. But from this vast arsenal of God's word, we can find specific sayings of God that are the swords he gives us to use in spiritual warfare. Think about it. Within this cover, you have an armory of swords at your disposal to use when the enemy comes at you, when the enemy tries to attack you and bring you down. And in Scripture, the one person who I know who used the sword of the Spirit better than anyone else is the one who would come and die for our sins, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know that our Savior used Scripture even when he was tempted. Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, familiar section of Scripture. And I want to tell you right now, this morning we're going to look at this passage from about 5,000 feet. And I want to give you just a precursor. 
starting next week, we're going to dive into a focus towards the Easter season. And next Sunday, the message I'm sharing is going to be more specific about Matthew chapter 4. But this morning, I want to look at it from 5,000 feet because I want you to see how our Savior used the rema of God, the sayings of God to protect him as he was tempted. Because we know that Jesus is the ultimate overcomer. We know that Jesus was the one who was able to overcome temptation with that sword, that rema. We know that in Scripture, in this particular passage, Jesus was tempted three times. The first time he's tempted with food. Now remember this. He's been in the desert for 40 days. He hasn't eaten anything. He's been fasting and praying to God. And the devil shows up. Watch this. The devil doesn't show up when we're on the mountaintop. The devil shows up when you're in the valley. And it is dark. And you don't know where the next glimmer of light's coming from. That's when the devil shows up. So the devil shows up to tempt Jesus with food. What we see in Scripture is we get to verse 4, and what I want to show you just in our time as we look through this section of Scripture, how Jesus responds to the temptation. So the devil says, turn the stone into bread. Look with me in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. And look what Jesus says. Jesus uses the rema, the sayings of God, verse 4. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In that verse, the key word is the word alone. The key word is the word alone. As Jesus is saying this, he's reminding the devil, reminding us that man should not live by bread alone or bread only. What Jesus is telling Satan is that by faith, Feeding and obeying the word of God is more important than eating physical food. Being in the word, letting the word of God sustain you. So Jesus pulls out that first sword, and he's pulling it from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. That's that verse he just pulled out from his sheath. But the devil doesn't stop there, because in the second temptation, notice something. In the second temptation, the devil uses scripture back at Jesus. The devil goes on to quote Psalm 91, verses 1 from 11 and 12, where he says there in verse 6, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Here's what the devil was hoping. The devil is hoping that God would intervene because there was no way that God would allow his son to jump from that highest peak off the temple and not try to stop him or catch him. So the devil is assuming that, listen, God's going to intervene and take it a step further. Satan is using scripture. We need to remind ourselves that the devil knows God's word. And the devil is not above using it to his advantage. The devil will take scripture and twist it and take it out of context. So the devil's not afraid of your scripture. Do not think that the devil won't try to attack you with scripture. So here this second temptation takes place. Again, we see our Savior draw out another sword. Look at verse 7. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt 
the Lord your God. Again, Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy. For us, it would be Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. Third time, Satan tempts him by saying, listen, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything you want. You know what the devil's trying to do here? The devil is trying to keep our Savior from the cross. Listen, think about that for a moment. The devil tells Jesus, listen, if you'll bow down and worship to me and worship who I am, you won't have to go to the cross. You won't have to fulfill the Father's will for your life. But again, notice what Jesus does. He pulls out another sword. Look at me with me in verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God. You shall worship the Lord your God in him only you shall serve. You shall worship the Lord your God only, not multiple gods, not many gods. One true God is who you're to worship. Again, he goes to Deuteronomy and pulls out that sword. And I told you that Satan, and I jumped ahead, Satan will use scripture. It's in your outline. He will use scripture to lead you to question God, but he'll also use scripture to try to confuse you as well. Again, think about that. Go back to how Satan addressed Jesus in every one of these temptations. If you look at scripture, look what he says there in verse 6. Or verse 3, because he does it three times. Verse 3. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God. Notice that. He is challenging Jesus in who he is, in his personhood. Are you really the son of God? Prove it. With every temptation, our Savior uses Scripture, His Father's Word, to stand up to the temptation He was dealing with. Listen, here's my reminder. You and I have the same access to the Scripture. You and I have the same access to God's Word that Jesus had. That means that you and I can have success when the devil tries to tempt us. When the devil tries to get in our path. This morning, very quickly, I want to share with you three ways you can use God's word to overcome temptation. The first thing is this. Stay in the line of fire. Stay in the line of fire. Over the course of almost a year, you have heard me proclaim God's word in God's scriptures. Every time I stood up behind here, I'm opening God's word. I am preaching the Bible to you. You are opening your copies of God's word to look with me as we read these scriptures. But here's what you didn't understand and what you didn't realize. Every Sunday, I'm giving you another sword to use. Every Sunday, I'm giving you another verse to put in your arsenal to stand up to what Satan's going to throw at you. Staying in the line of fire. Think about this. Because with these swords that we read every Sunday, some of them are going to hit you right where you are. And they're going to speak to your heart because that's how God is getting a hold of you because you're hearing this rima, the sayings of God. But you know what? You don't have to come here on Sunday morning to get hit with a sword. You can be listening to God's word on your way to work or as you go and walk. There are tons of Bible audio apps that you can download to listen to God's word. 
Listen, I can remember when I had the whole Bible on a cassette tape. Remember those days? And then it went to CDs. And listen, I'm not ashamed to tell you this morning, I've got an audio collection of the King James Bible, New Testament, being narrated by James Earl Jones. Because in my mind, I don't hear James Earl Jones. You know who I hear? I hear Darth Vader reading the Bible to me. Some of you are going to get that in a second. But here's my point. Here's my point. We need to stay in the line of fire. We need to let the scripture saturate us. We need to let it come into our lives and into our heart. That's why we stay in this line of fire. We learn as we study scripture. Listen, and listening to scripture for some of you is easier than trying to read it. And I understand that. So let me help you out here. Did you know that you can listen to Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in Scripture. It'll take you about 15 minutes to listen to that one chapter. If you wanted to listen to the book of Hebrews, it'll take you about 45 minutes. You want to listen to the book of Romans, it'll take you about an hour. You want to listen to the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it's going to take you about 12 hours to get through those five books. If you want to listen to the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's going to take you about 75 hours just to listen to God's word. So why is it important? Listen to me. Why is it important to be in the line of fire of Scripture? Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. The reference is on the screen behind me. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Why do we need to stay in the line of fire? Here's why. Because you are called to pay attention to Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. You need to be in the line of fire. You need to have God's word overcome you. Let it be embedded into your heart. And listen, you have no excuse to not be able to access scripture. For some of you, some of you are in this room are readers. That is awesome. Read it cover to cover. And if you don't want to read it here, listen, there are enough translations you can read it on an app. But for some of us, it's easier to let us listen to it and let it soak in. But we need to be in the line of fire so it comes and gets a place in a hold of our heart. So that's the first point. The second point is this. Search every inch of the armory. Remember I told you your Bible is the armory filled with swords, those sayings of God. Did you notice something back in Matthew chapter 4? That when Jesus responded to the devil, and I shared this with you, he used scripture. He quoted scripture. He used his swords that he knew to battle what Satan was throwing at him. But did you also know that the book of Deuteronomy is probably one of the most criticized books in scripture? There are those who argue who the author is. They argue its place in the canon of scripture. They offer some different, they argue against some of the text of it. But notice who quotes from it. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ quotes three times from the book of Deuteronomy. You know what Jesus is saying? If the book's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. He could have quoted from any other source of scripture. 
but he specifically goes to Deuteronomy. And we see the blessings that he pulls as he quotes those scriptures. But do you know the book of Deuteronomy is not the only book of the Bible that is attacked? The Bible itself is attacked on a daily basis. Back in 2018, GQ ran an article, and the title of the article was this, 21 books you don't have to read. 21 books you don't have to read. On that list were books like The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, The Lord of the Rings, Gulliver's Travels, Bram Stoker's Dracula, to name a few. 21 books you don't need to read. Number 12 was the Bible. According to the writer of this article, that the Bible was not worth spending any time in. You won't get anything out of it. It won't apply to your life. I'd like to meet that author and just have 30 minutes and just sip some coffee and show them why Scripture is what it says it is, why it's the most important book to read. It's the most important book to know and understand. This past Thursday, I came across an article where a pastor stood up behind a pulpit and made the statement that the Bible was not the Word of God. He's someone I want to spend 45 minutes with. But for somebody to stand up and say, this is not the Word of God, that it's a waste of time to read it, if that's the case, then we're wasting our time this morning. Because the reason we're here, we're here is because we believe the words in this book to be true because the writer of this book has sent his son to die for our sins. So if that is the case, then we hold scripture to our heart. But there's that reason why we search every inch of this armory to find the verses that speak to us. Take your Bibles and turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Here's the reminder. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. If you try to read through the Bible or listen through the Bible, there are parts of Scripture that you have to be careful not to ignore or skip over. Because I'm going to be honest with you, when you get to something like the book of Numbers, there's a reason why it's called the book of Numbers. And it's very repetitive. And I've known people who will get to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and skip Numbers and go straight on to Deuteronomy. But we need the whole counts of Scripture. Listen, this is also why it's important you study Scripture on your own, but you don't pick the parts you just like. Don't pick the spots that you think are the best. Because again, look with me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. If the Bible is our armory, and if we're going to resist the temptations we deal with, we need to develop those skills, develop the wisdom to handle the swords that are at our disposal. That means we spend time with it, we study it, we learn it. So when the tempter comes, those specific verses will touch your heart to help you in those situations. Because verses that mean something to you may not mean something to the person you're sitting next to. Because God has spoken to you specifically through that verse where he may not have spoken to the person next to you in the same passage of Scripture. 
But that's why we do these things. That's why we stay in the line of fire. That's why we search every inch of the army. But the third thing, you need to start gathering your swords. You need to start gathering them. Think about this for just a moment. Think about this for just a moment. We memorize scripture so we hold it close to our heart. Memorizing scripture, I'm going to be honest with you this morning, very transparent for just a second. Scripture memorization is one of my weakest areas. Now, I can find passages of scripture, and I can find sections like this, but to recall it from memory, I don't know if it's because I've gotten older or just wasn't very good at it when I was younger. But somebody who I know has studied scripture to the point of memorizing massive passages is a gentleman by the name of Dr. David Platt. David Platt, um, I've heard him in conferences before. Uh, he got his degrees from New Orleans. He pastored a church in Birmingham, Alabama. He was president of the International Mission Board. He's now serving as the lead pastor for a church in Virginia. A number of years ago, went to a conference that he was speaking at. The man has got I, he's the kind of person, I'm going to sit down for four hours just to let him talk. I'm not going to say a word because of his knowledge of Scripture. But we were at this conference, and he asked us all to take our Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1, and stand as he read. So he started reading Romans chapter 1, and we're all following along as he's reading. And if you're like me, when somebody's reading Bible, what are you doing? You're looking down as they're reading. Well, he got through all of chapter 1, then he proceeded to go to chapter 2, and we're still all doing this. And he proceeded to go to chapter 3. By that moment, I lifted my head up. Dr. Platt had closed his Bible, and he went on to recite Romans chapter 1 all the way through Romans chapter 5, word for word. Never missed a beat because he had learned the discipline of studying Scripture and hiding it in his heart. The method he used for Scripture memorization, I'm going to put it in your outline this morning, it's called the Mitchell Method. Let me walk you through this method for just a second. There's four steps to the method to memorizing Scripture. Here's the first step. Begin by selecting a passage of Scripture that takes approximately 15 minutes to read out loud. So you start by finding a small section of Scripture that takes about 15 minutes to read out loud. And, I, and there are some short passages, and you can write some of these down, and I'll post them later. Matthew 5 through 7 will take you about 15 minutes to read. Romans 6 through 8, 15 minutes. All of Philippians, all of Colossians, all of 2 Timothy, all of the book of James, all of the book of 1 Peter. Those books will take you about 15 minutes to read out loud. So step number one. Find that passage. They'll take that. 15 minutes is all you need. Don't go longer. Don't go shorter. Because there's a reason behind the madness. So 15-minute window to read scripture out loud. Step number two, read your passage through once or twice a day out loud. So one time a day, two times a day, you read that passage every day out loud. And keep track of how many times you're reading it out loud. So you found a passage that's 15 minutes, read it once or twice a day. Step three, once you have read it out loud about 50 times, try to memorize it. And it's that method. And you need to be faithful. 
to work towards this. It's not going to happen quickly. That's why Dr. Mitchell, who came up with this method, said about 50 times it's going to take you to get it to sink in before you can start speaking it out loud. But here's the fourth step. Quote through it at least 25 times without looking to fix it in your memory. So find a passage that will take no more than 15 minutes to read. Read it once or twice a day. Read it 50 times and start putting it in memory. And then 25 times recite it without looking at your Bible. Sounds crazy, I know. But it's a way to let God's word pour into you. And listen, take it a step further. And I don't know about you, but this step right here when I read it makes me cringe. But record yourself reading it and then listen to yourself as you read it. Because you have a certain countenance. You have a certain tone. You have a certain beat pattern when you speak. Because chances are if you listen to somebody else read it, you may repeat it the way they say it and even the style they say it. But it's in your own voice. It's in your thoughts. And it's in your heart. So if you were to start today, let me give you the example. If you were to start today and read the book of Philippians once a day for 50 days, and you followed it by 15 days of memorizing it and another 25 days of doing it without looking at scripture, it would take you about three to four months to have the whole book of Philippians in your memory. By only doing it 15 minutes a day. Now, some of you think I've lost my mind right here. But think about this for a second. How many of you have memorized your phone number? Know your phone number by memory? Raise your hand. How many of you know your social security number by heart? How many of you know your address by heart? How many of you remember the phone number of when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. So why is it where we can be so concerned about memorizing those things, which are important, but we don't give credence to what's the most important in learning and studying Scripture and hiding it in our hearts? Because, listen, when the devil tempts you, listen to me, when the devil tempts you, most temptations are not going to happen with you walking around with a Bible in your hand. Listen, the devil's not going to show up when you're walking with your Bible like this. The devil's not going to say, man, let me see if I can mess with him. No, the devil's going to get you at your weakest point. That's why you need to memorize these swords. That's why you need to hide his word in your heart. So when he comes and attacks you, you can quote scripture back to him. Because here's what I understand. Nowhere do I see in scripture when the devil showed up, Jesus said, hey, can you wait a minute so I can find my concordance? So I can look at that verse that I need to say back to you. No, he hid it in his heart because he knew the importance of having God's word in his heart. And here's what I learned. As I memorize scripture, as I open my Bible and I make scripture to memory and I hide it in my heart, it becomes so accessible. And here's what I've understood. When we open the Bible, God opens his mouth. Think about that. When we open the scripture, God opens his mouth for us to see his word. But when we hide it and memorize it, it's like we have his voice on a recorder. Think about those first verses you learned as a kid that you hid in your heart. When I was a teenager in high school, 
a verse that became very important to me in my walk with God was 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Never look down on thy youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, let yourself be an example unto others. That verse has been my verse in my heart through high school. It was my verse through college, and it's still my verse today. Even at 49, I have to remind myself that because I may be young, I can't let others say who I am because God's already established that. And I need to be the example in the way I talk and the way I act and the way I love. Those are the verses we hide close to our heart. Those are the verses we hold close to because you and I will never overcome the devil or temptation without the presence of God in our lives. That's why we store scripture in our heart because scripture is the only weapon you have against the devil. You have no other weapon. Going back to that armor, yes, we put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. We hold up that shield of faith. And we have the gospel of peace under our feet. But those are all defensive weapons. It's only when we grab our swords that we have something to push and fight back with against the devil. That is the only way we overcome him. By gathering up our swords. This morning I want to close with a history lesson. I know how many of you love history. Louis Charles Bourbon was the son of King Louis the Sixth and Marie Antoinette. So there's, there's Charles, and there's mom and dad in the next picture. Help me out. During the French Revolution, which happened in 1789, Louis Charles's father was removed from power. He and his family were thrown in a prison. Eventually, his father and his mother were killed in the guillotine. And this young kid, at the time when his parents died, he was eight years old. Now, those who were supportive to the family saw young, this young eight-year-old boy as the next king of France. Those who were in charge of the revolution said, there is no way this kid's going to sit on the throne. So what they would do to this young eight-year-old is they determined they were going to throw every temptation they could at this kid. They would tempt him with many different ways. They would put rich food in front of him to make him be tempted by appetite. They tempt him with food to make him a slave for an appetite. They exposed him. They cursed around him and used harsh language, hoping that he would start using that language and he would use those words, and those words would be in his mind, in his speech. Every waking hour for this little boy, they tempted him and tempted him and tempted him. But he never fell into temptation. He never gave in to those who tried to trip up his walk. Finally, those who were trying to tempt him, those who were trying to get him to give in, asked this young boy, why won't you fall into these temptations? Why won't you give in? And here's what this eight-year-old eight -year boy, this little boy said. And this is the words he used. I cannot do what you ask because I was born a king. At eight years old, he knew he had to set an example. Now, I share this history lesson to remind you this morning that as a child of God, you are born into a royal priesthood. You are kings and queens 
to a heavenly Father who loves you. 2 Timothy, look with me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. 2 Timothy 2, 12 simply says this, we, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. 2 Timothy 2, 12, that first part. If you and I are a child of God, you and I are a part of this royal priesthood, then what can any earthly temptation offer in comparison to our destiny in heaven? What the world has to offer does not match what's waiting for us when we leave this world. When you and I close our eyes on this side and we open our eyes in glory, what we're going to see there is far better than anything else we've given to here. So as we think about this morning, here's the reminder to be an overcomer. We set our eyes on Jesus and see him as the ultimate object behind your deepest desires. Because once you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a genuine relationship, you understand what it means to be in his presence. You become one with him. You love him for all eternity. And there is no temptation to slow you down when your eyes are fixed on him. But the only way this morning you're going to have access to any one of these swords, the only way you can access any of this scripture is by having a relationship with Jesus Christ first. Because without a relationship, you have no swords. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have no way to fight off the devil when he stands in front of you. And ask that question, who do you think you are? It's only when you say yes to Jesus that you can stand in front of Satan and say, I am a child of God. But be careful, because here's the next question Satan's going to ask you. Prove it. And the only way you can prove it is by pulling out your sword. Those verses that God has spoken to your heart. Those verses that you have put in your memory to stand against him. One more thought. Psalm 119, verse 11, simply says this. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. As a child of God, those are the marching orders. As a child of God, this is how we stand up to what the devil throws at us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning, as we move into a time of invitation, my prayer is that you have access to these swords we've talked about this morning. That you understand that this access only comes from knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's understanding completely what it means to be a child of God as you pick up this offensive weapon. That you will do everything within your power to stand in the line of fire when the Satan is throwing those darts, that you'll search every inch of this armory, but you'll start gathering those swords. You'll start studying and memorizing God's word so you can hide it in your heart. But again, that only comes by having a relationship with the Father through the Son. My prayer this morning is you have a relationship. But for some in this room this morning, your relationship may be distant 
You know him, but you haven't spent time with him. This morning, you can change that by recentering your focus on the things of God. But as I also said already this morning, there's maybe some of you in this room, you will not have any access to the swords that are available to you until you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and come into your life. So this morning, you have an opportunity to do business with God. Don't let this moment pass by. Father, as we move into a time of invitation, a time of response, my prayer is simply this. That, Father, you would speak to the hearts of individuals who are here this morning. That you would remind them that they have access to an arsenal of your sayings. An, a, an armory of swords. That, Father, there are verses that speak to us, that remind us of who you are. But, Father, these same verses are what we go to when the devil starts creeping around us like that lion. So, Father, this morning, use this time to remind us of where we are in our relationship with you. But, Father, use this time to speak to those who may not know you. That, Father, they would come to the saving knowledge of knowing you as Lord and Savior. Father, most importantly, my prayer right now is that your will would be done. We simply pray this in your son's name. Amen. Let's all stand.